Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Paranormal and the Sacred Radio Show with your featured host, Shaw McCain, a forensics counselor, psychic, writer, artist, modern day Christian mystic, and UFO experiencer. Shaw introduced guests who are experts on all aspects of the paranormal and the sacred. The Paranormal and the Sacred Radio Show has been featured on Blog Talk Radio as Staff Pick. And now for your host, Sean McCain. Hello, everybody. This is your host, Sean McCain, and I want to welcome you to the Paranormal and the Sacred Radio Show, where we talk about everything we want to talk about. And tonight, I want to talk about Nathaniel Gillis. This guy is so interesting, and I was so excited to have him on the show. And Nathaniel Gillis is a religious demonologist and author of two books, uh, The Soul, The Skin That Crawls, and a, Mo- a Moment Called Man. I want him to explain that, that title to us. And uh, after living in a haunted house, he spent 20 years researching what he has encountered and the founder of the preternatural phenomenal. You're going to you're gonna have to uh, tell us that title to philosophy. And he is thought to redefine the nature of haunting phenomena, ghosts, and high strangeness. He's often quoted for his concept of the demonic. The reason they are playing by different rules is because they are playing a different game. And I'd like to re- welcome Nathaniel Gillis to our show. Nathaniel, you're live with the Paranormal and the Sacred. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm, I'm excited to discuss this precious research. It is. It's um, Nathaniel, I'm here in Southern California, and I'm telling you, it's, it was 45 degrees this morning. Mm-hmm. And it's cold right now, and this is this <laughs> is uh, <laughs> this is the dead of winter, I guess, for California. <laughs> and they have their their yeah. And I know, you know, I know, I'm bragging a little bit, but the thing why I'm bringing it up is because the aroma of people are actually it's cold enough in California right now that it, California itself isn't burning, but people are actually have fires in their fireplaces. It wow. smells delightful. This, this hardly ever happens. This is only day two. <laughs> well, we, we, uh, we use our fireplaces and our stoves often here in Ohio, unfortunately. Oh, <laughs> it yeah. It's cold. Oh, yeah. So uh, we've been actually, me and a few friends, uh, were thinking about migrating to Ohio and causing trouble for you guys. We just want to just, <laughs> you know, pay less rent. Actually, that's, that's our main goal. Because the houses are so. Yeah, here we're being priced out. You know, oh, pretty soon there's oh, going to yeah. be 20 people in one bedroom apartment. That's what's going to happen here in California. Oh, my God. That's awful. That's sad. It see. is. It's it's terrible. The the rent is so high, you know, but you know, you, you live in Ohio and you get salt to the earth people there and you mm-hmm. yourself, uh did you grow up in Ohio? I sure did. I sure did. So I'm an Ohio buckeye through and through. Oh, cool. 
You know, I just don't know because I lived upstate New York. I was born in Boston, and then we came to California. Ooh. So I don't have – I've been, been you know, <laughs> I have been through and through. I've been all over the United States, but I just passed through Ohio. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Just, it's one of just those to go to New York or just to go to California. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. I've been to Ohio, too, and I was just passing through. I mean, I'm, I'm just passing through. <laughs> Yeah, right. Window shopping. But I the only place now. I did not like, okay, the really, mm-hmm. I think Ohio is beautiful. I love the people. Mm-hmm. I've never met anybody but good people. But it's just mm-hmm. Texas I don't like, and that's just where my sister moved to. Okay. I'm, I've never actually been to Texas, but I'm shocked that you didn't stay in Boston. I'm in love with that city. <laughs> I love I'm Boston. I actually even have on one of my songs that I play is the Massachusetts mm-hmm. by the Bee Gees. <laughs> there we go. Way because I love, <laughs> I love the the tone of it, you know. And then Boston, you're my mm-hmm. home. I love the Red Sox. I really, oh I had God, a dream yeah. that, yeah, I had a dream that I was sitting on the Boston co- uh, Commons, and somebody oh, wow. asked me, "How far do your people go back here?" And I said in mm-hmm. my dream all the way because all the way. we came over yeah. in the Mayflower. So we were on right. that. My, my That's my grandma's side, the, my okay. paternal grandmother's side. They came on the Mayflower. So you, my you people go all the way history back. There. History, that's history. Special, that's special. I know. I love Boston. I love Boston. I mean, if uh, you're just saying my heart right there because uh, – I want to go back, you know, but it's uh, it's weird because yeah. now all the kids grew up. Uh, my mom, you know, God rest her soul, just passed away two weeks ago. And oh, uh, so I've always wanted to go, but now I can go wherever I want to go, you know, because mom yeah. was in Texas. And uh, I don't understand that, those people. But anyway, uh, my <laughs> kids are old and now my grandkids are old. And I have mm-hmm. a little great grandson now, so oh. I could go back to Boston, but I'd be by myself. That's the issue. Oh, but yeah. no, yeah. I'm taking that back. City. I have, I have fifteen hundred cousins, so oh they're God. all back there. I know. I have a huge amount Holy of. Smokes. Well, the others, they they come from big families in my mother's time. Mm-hmm. You know, really big. So they each oh. had, you know, nine on each side. So. I That's actually, a huge family tree. <laughs> That's it's a so large huge. tree right there. I, yeah. I ran out of steam. I got up to about 150 first cousins. I went, I'll forget it. I just can't even deal with this anymore. Because now we're on the the fourths and the fifths. And, you know, then I did the DNA. And did you ever get your DNA done? I have it. My, my mother and my grandmother had it done. And it seems like every other day they're getting an update on it. So. We'll see what they are here soon, hopefully. <laughs> we don't know yeah, yet. Yeah, I think you should do that <laughs> because uh, cause I don't ha- – I have uh, – you know, it's uh, – when I had that done, remarkable things uh, mm-hmm. came up, you know, and it, I am who mm-hmm. I always thought I was. Let's put it that way. Not what well, people told me I was, even in my family, but I am who I thought I was. So thank God for that. Mm-hmm. So anyway, yeah, you know, clarity. you said you know, I have – I have lived in so many haunted houses that almost every mm-hmm. house I've ever lived in has been haunted, except for the one I'm mm-hmm. in now. So I've had a mm-hmm. divine reprieve for the last six, seven years. Okay. 
So you said that this started off as that you had a certain experience when you were a child. Yeah. Like what, were your, what was your family's belief sure. system? Uh, we came from the Christian tradition. And so we had actually moved into a house in East Dayton, Ohio. And um, I saw that I saw the very first apparition at the open house prior to us purchasing it. And um, it was a little girl. Yeah, it was a beautiful little girl. She had, she was pale in complexion. She looked to be about six years old. And uh, she was wearing a white linen dress that looked to be made in the turn of the century. And uh, from that point, my parents purchased the home. We moved in. The entity in the house mutated. It evolved into a more malevolent haunting, and that's when the shadow figure uh, showed up, and that's where the nightmares began. And, you know, it was my confrontation. Some people ask me, you know, it was, was it my introduction into this field? And it really wasn't an introduction. I wish it was assault at that. You know, this was a direct mm-hmm. confrontation. But, um, yeah, that, that's where uh, my experiences began. So how old were you when this was happened? I was eight, eight years old, going on nine. I was about six months shy of being nine. So in interviews, I usually give myself a half. So I'll say I'm eight, and yeah. I was eight and a half. How about that? <laughs> okay, no, because I have, uh, I have four sisters, but I'm mm-hmm. talking right now about me and the first the other, the first two after me. And, mm-hmm. uh, we actually used to see in the corner of the room. I don't know if this is normal for kids, but mm-hmm. we, we would see that tall, spooky figure in black, like a cape with yeah. a, a black hat. And we had a yeah. name for him Mm-hmm. And we would all discuss him and what he looked. Okay, you see it? Yeah, I see it. He talked. What does he look? Okay, yeah. So I know they were, my sisters were seeing. So I would ask them what they were looking at. Mm-hmm. So I wonder why so many children. You know, we called him DJ Dastardly John. Mm-hmm. Weirdly enough, wow. I just I, re- I know I yeah. remembered that. Like last week, I was thinking about this, and I said, "Yeah, we call him Dastardly John, DJ." Isn't that unique how we kind of try to rationalize and, yeah. and you know, uh, these entities? I mean, I did the same thing with, with my experience, and it was really it was, it was a, a, a beautiful coping mechanism in a way, to be honest. I mean, you know, when we're, we're experiencing these things, this phenomenon, I mean, it, it almost pushes you into a corner where you have to rationalize it just to get through it, and that's pretty much what I did. I did the same thing. I know. I think about that. Uh, so did you interact with that? Okay, so you said it morphed into something. Yeah, uh... it, would ev- it would evolve through time. And, like, there was one night where I was playing a video game, and I saw movement out of a corner of my right eye. And, you know, I had the lights off and everything, but I I turned, and when I looked through the window in the corner, I could see this this shadow figure just staring at me. And this was in the wintertime during the school year, and I, uh, the next morning, I went out to the car, and I looked over to my window, and I saw two footprints right in front of me. So, you know, it was difficult for me to understand that because, like I said, I was in the Christian tradition, and there was nothing about what I was going through uh, that I was learning. Like, you know, I would go to Sunday school, but they couldn't help me. <laughs> you know, what, what yeah. I was experiencing did not fit in the blueprint 
of Christianity. And so it was a difficult time. It really was. You talked to your parents about it? Or was it known in the family? Yeah. or they, yeah. they knew I was experiencing things. They just, I don't think that they knew how profound it was. You know what I mean? I mean, like my, my dad was working mm-hmm. first shift. My dad was, my mom was working at a uh, daycare. And so what I would end up doing is I would, I would turn the light on in my room and I would stay up all night until about six thirty seven in the morning. And then I would get about 45 minutes of sleep. Then I would go to school and just basically pass out on my desk. And so, you know, it's, you can't live that lifestyle and get good grades. No, <laughs> so I, I actually that's... ended up failing a grade. <laughs> yeah. But, um, it was, you know, that's, yeah. Now it was, you know, it was it was a unique time in my life, but um, one of the ways I learned to rationalize and cope with what I was experiencing was that I told myself, even at that young age, that uh, that I was only afraid of this entity because I didn't understand it. And so later on in my life, once I outgrew those experiences and no longer feared what I felt from, you know, those. <laughs> experiences, I, I tried my best to understand what it was that I encountered in that house, and really it drove me headfirst into this research. Yes, and this research is so important because, you know, I believe there's more unseen than there is seen, exactly you know, and there's right. more exactly yet right. to be rec- discover than we mm-hmm. have discovered. I mean, they keep saying, you know, every hundred years, okay, we've We've discovered just about everything, and then all of a sudden, another whole hundred years of growth again, or or de- right. degrowth, whatever you want to call it. But uh, mm-hmm. I I want to ask you something that a friend made a statement only because I have a you know the professional on here, and uh, it's mm-hmm. important to ask that uh, a friend of mine made a statement to me, and he said that uh, the only way people get fame on this earth is to, in other words, make a pact with the devil statement. Um, I don't know. I mean, it depends on what kind of fame it is. You know what I'm saying? Well, I, like, think should, I feel the same way. I feel like you wouldn't say that about Billy Graham. You know what I mean? Right. So, you know what I mean? Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Who, uh, you know, he's one of those men I looked up to, and I actually saw him at the World's Fair, you know, back when I was a kid, and uh, it was a big big time in my life so uh yeah. yeah but but i'm thinking though uh because he had we were talking about like several in particular let's say musicians that mm-hmm. uh have attained such heights that all of a sudden you know they od they're gone or they commit suicide or they, right because they're like have to be a sacrifice of some kind that's what he was talking about yeah i i can go there yeah i definitely believe that and we, we've had testimonies coming out, especially in the rock genre, where you know, or the heavy metal genre, where people have come out and said that you know they've done a ritual, where they've sold their soul to the devil, and next thing you know, they're skyrocketed into fame, and you know that's that's not uncommon in this arena, to be honest with you. I mean, it's it's very 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 prevalent, especially in that genre. Yeah. Music. Yeah, you make make a statement on your uh, website 
it's njgillis.com. And I like it's a cool mm-hmm. website, by the way. I really like the way you Thank have you. how it's, I know it's it so simple. smooth and simple. <laughs> Very yeah. simple, but but we all know how to click nowadays. So uh, I found everything. <laughs> yeah. But you were talking about the statement. I hope I. It's about how uh, symbolism. This is what you say. Mm-hmm. I'll just paraphrase. Mm-hmm. Symbolism is a dialect for the yeah. lower power. And right. I find that really fascinating because I see so many times uh, this. Your just tell us about it. Well, I want to hear. I want to hear your view. Okay, uh, symbolism is the simplification of language, and so it's just like when if we were in a boat and we were approaching an iceberg, like you said earlier in the interview, you're going to see very little of what the iceberg is, right? In fact, there's more iceberg underneath the water than there is above it. And so the role symbolism plays in hauntology and in possession cases and even incubus cases is that these entities will go into homes and they will carve symbols into the wall or the carpet or they'll even write it on the mirror. And so what we have to understand about that is that they're actually communicating to each other and to us through these symbols. And so we've not yet understood, at least in demonology, what their symbols mean and how, like, like, you know, what what it's meant to imply. For instance, there was a a great researcher, he's a demonologist by the name of Ludovici Maria Sinistrari. He was a Franciscan priest. And uh, his research was primarily centered around victims of incubus, like of incubi. So, you know, we're talking about spirits that appear as males, but only to females. Does that make sense? Yes. I've never okay. heard it put that way, though. Yes, yeah. And, and so uh, he would actually have victims who had died, but they didn't die at the hand of an incubus. But they were victims of incubus in their lifetime, and so he, would, he, along with other physicians, they would do medical examinations of these victims, and there were many cases where he would peel back the eyelids, and the entity, the incubus itself, would have carved symbols underneath their eyelids. And so that's, now, that's why it's ancient. Been, yeah. Right. That's why it's absolutely vital for this research to discover not just how profound symbolism is to them, but why it is that they're branding their victims. Right. It's just like a serial killer who will either take something from the victim or will scar their victim's body and and then in hopes that maybe later on they'll revisit the body again. And so to understand what symbolism is and the role it plays… We got to realize that they're employing employing symbolism uh, almost at every turn. Yes, I agree. Yeah, and it's, you know, yeah, and it's well because it's them. infiltrating, and it's you know, it's like when mm-hmm. you in, you know have the uh, you know whatever IBM brand that's going so far back. Oh God, sir. Anyway, <laughs> when you have a brand. <laughs> and so, Oh God, I'm old. But it's infiltrating everything. Everything right. is Samsung. Everything is on Facebook. Yeah. 
everything, you know, we know yeah. what it looks like. Now Facebook is just a letter. There's no even design, really. Exactly right. And it's meant to, I mean, it's obviously it's a brand, it's representation. But again, mm-hmm. that is the simplification of the brand. Like when we see Facebook, we just see an app, but we don't realize that that's a, it's a global brand. It's a multi-billion dollar brand, but all of that is wrapped up in that one letter. And so when we were researching this phenomenon, it's high time that my field of demonology understands uh, that when we have victims who have symbols carved into their flesh, that these entities are marking their victims in an effort to brand them in order to communicate to other entities that there's ownership involved. And so when we're dealing with the psychological aspect of it, we need to be thinking less about fallen angels and more about psychopathic narcissists who have a serial killer's pathology and who even after killing their victim or assaulting their victim, it's not enough. They have to mark them in hidden places. And, uh, and I'll, I'll anchor that thought because I can go on and on, but I don't want to. <laughs> I'll, I'll stop rambling. Okay. No, you're, <laughs> you're not rambling to me because uh, it's reminding me of something is that uh, I see – okay, because we've always uh, talked about you know how violent uh, everything is, and then there's violence in mm-hmm. the music and then coming up. Uh, I can't. Mm-hmm. I like just about every kind of music except that shred metal stuff. I just can't stand it right. really, and right. because they just right. start from from beat one screaming mm-hmm. <laughs> nonstop. Yeah. I mean, it's the worst crap ever. You know what I mean? Because I've gone that to actually sounds like because I have. Okay, yeah, it's a pain, all right. But, I mean, really, I had to actually say to this, I got so delirious from this. these people mm-hmm. shredding came on. Thank God I somebody uh, did the whole Bridge of Size album. Some kid goes up there. Mm-hmm. He was only about 20. How would he know the Bridge of Do you know what album I'm talking about? I don't. Bridge of Size. You have got to get that one album. Anyway, he knew both sides, and he played both sides. Thank God, because Mm -hmm. when I came after him, because I was there for a fundraiser. See what I'm saying? This is Mm -hmm. how easy you can mess up or fall or fall off the straight path. So I'm at this fundraiser. Everything was really cool, you know, and uh, there was old rockers there. You know, my age, and then there was this, this kid that got up there, and, man, he was just great, great. And then mm-hmm. the shredder came, and I had to ask this young girl. I said, Miss, I'll give you all my raffle tickets if you just show me where the door is. Really, I got that disorientated. <laughs> there were so many yeah. people in there, you know what I mean? And then the screaming, right. um, I you think that it's – I did. I had to get out, and then she helped me to get out. Just, I said, just all you have to do is show me the door. Yeah, but, but to yeah. me, I, I don't. And I'm in recovery. I don't really belong there. I didn't know all that crap was going to happen. I had our. I this is the setup. I mm-hmm. said to a, a, a some friends of mine, let's meet over there. You know what I mean? Okay. And I'll see you there. Okay. So, but they don't realize if they don't show up. If you have okay, this is a public service announcement. If you have a friend in recovery, you ask them to be somewhere, like go see a fundraiser, and there happens to be alcohol and, and whatever else they're doing in there. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But usually, mm-hmm. it's no big deal to some people. 
or unless you're right. imbibing or doing it. But if you're not, mm-hmm. you don't leave that person alone there. So that's what happened to me. You know, they didn't wow. know the they didn't yeah, they didn't mean to do it. But to them it's yeah, oh I'll yeah. just see it the next time. But to me it was like I was counting on them. You know what I mean? Right. So Oh yeah. Exit there's nothing stopping you from leaving. Yeah, it's kind of yeah, it just places you. I've been in situations like that where it's kind of it's really sad sometimes because you're looking around and people aren't even noticing what's happening. They don't feel it, but no. you do. And I so do. it's just it's that sticky, icky, dark feeling. Uh, and I felt that it's akin to what I would feel in a haunting. You know what I mean? Yes. Where there's a presence there, and it's just like I got to get out of here. Truthfully. I totally agree with you because I, when I was reading uh, some of the things that uh, uh, about, you know, like soul hunters, okay, that that concept mm-hmm. is yeah. that it even says straight in the Bible that they're hunting for you. You yeah. know what I mean? They're, they're looking for you. Yeah, yeah. They're they're like Nimrod in the Bible, where they they're hunters of men. And they're soul harvesters. They're, they're, I mean, the closest, closest uh, image to them that we have in modernity would be a serial killer. Yes. Someone who, is, who has their own morality or lack of therein uh, and who just sees ice cold. And so he can move in and out as a predator. And, you know, they know us. They've evolved along with us. And I think that many demonologists who get in this field out of just a, a curiosity, they don't realize that when they encounter a soul hunter, you're encountering something uh, that is preternatural, that has eclipsed the microcosm of any kind of evil we've known. And, you know, it's, it's difficult to contemplate. I mean, because when you have people who go into homes and say, okay, it's no big deal. I got me a cool EVP. And I... Next thing you know, you know, they provoked it or they poked it, and now they're seeing shadow people. And it's like, you know, we need to take this research, many of us, some of us need to take it more seriously than, than it's being taken right now. I agree. Um, there, but there are uh, well, people like you uh, mm-hmm. and also uh, men of the cloth that actually – uh, it's almost like this. This profession uh, finds them because how do you find a suitable right. profession for this, or who's going to be good at it, or <laughs> whatever know. you know? Yeah, like you how do you to, know what uh, your your neck is? You know, so exactly uh, care it's, of yourself. So um, I don't look not a, for any haunted house. I don't look right. for any. You know, so right. uh, even though I I talk about all these subjects, I don't really actively go in and look for anything since the last time I think I was a teenager. Um, mm-hmm. Do you remember Houdini uh, had mm-hmm. we used to call it Houdini's Castle had a house mm-hmm. up in the a mansion, and mm-hmm. uh, the last time I ever went to look at anything was that house before it was torn down. His Houdini's Castle. I was so right. petrified. I started running, and I remember a whole bunch of frat boys <laughs> were back of me, <laughs> and they ran screaming and running too. <laughs> I oh screamed because I thought I saw something. 
Mm-hmm. And then they ran faster than I could. It was so hilarious seeing them. You know, I'll never forget <laughs> these big galoots <laughs> screaming. Oh, God. It was hilarious, really, because I probably used a stick fill. You know, really, because mm-hmm. you couldn't get in because part of it was like broke down. It was immense. They wow. had the biggest fireplace I've ever seen in my whole life. It would like be two wow. houses was just a fireplace. I'll have it to look bizarre. it up. The interview's done. Yeah, I'll check it out. Yes, please look at it because, uh, but but I have never sought out you know anything like that since you know. But you make a statement well, that um, uh, it was part of the symbolism thing, and mm-hmm. I want to know the tie-in of how. Let's say if I'm worried about somebody or worried about some people that seem to keep saying that that they know what they're doing, but they keep they keep dabbling. So what do you, what do you think? Um, I think that to say that they know what they're doing, and there's a lot of people that say that. And there's a lot of people that say that and do. Uh, but when you yeah. when you have someone like that, they go into a house to even just an investigation, they, they see symbolism or even symbols carved in the walls or their skin especially, that's a, that's, that's a sign to get out of there. That's a sign to okay. get out of there. And so that's what I say. Actually, I'm going to pull up my website now so I can look at what you're looking at and kind of get a better idea. Um, that's my advice. You know, I have a lot of people that have a fatal fascination with this, and they think, you know, because I have an EVP finder and I have my, you know, all my devices – Mm-hmm. My voice box and everything, and, and then next thing you know, it's you have an attachment, and so it's you know it's not a curiosity, it's a calling, at least for for genealogy. Yes. But uh, yeah, so I'm a, I'm on my website now, and I talk about how it's uh, you know the symbolism plays in the occult. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so it's symbols being employed in possessing a malevolent entities. Yeah, so, you know, like I said in the, here in the, the research, says the symbol itself points back to that which it represents. And so what's really interesting about it is that when we see symbolism employed in hauntings, that's not – obviously that's not all that's there, but there is an authority present there that it's designed to represent. And so when we encounter that, we have to understand that, that we're in the presence of a brand, number one, a logo, but more than that – it's a consciousness. It's an energy, and that energy has marked that specific location or that specific person. And whenever it does that, my advice is to get out of there, call someone to cleanse it, call, call some clergy, or call a demonologist because that entity is there for one reason and one reason only. It's taking ownership, and um, you're going to have a direct confrontation what, with us. To what end? Because this body only lasts. Like that's one thing I wanted to ask you. You know, mm-hmm. to what end when um, body only lasts so long? And uh, right, you know that we all die, and that's part of you know life, the birth and the season of life. So, what is the end? The well, I know what it is, but what I'm trying to say is. What do you think? Uh, they're necromancers. Okay, explain like, that to us. Okay, so, so a necromancer is somebody 
who, at least in biblical antiquity, they would uh, their source was number one, but they would go into graveyards, they would dig up bodies, and then reanimate the bodies, and in a sense possess them in order to harvest excretions from them. So Father Sinastrari uh, of Amino, again, I love his work, but Father mm-hmm. Sinastrari of Amino would uh, have incubus cases where he would show up to the house within an hour of the event taking place, and he would collect, uh, can I say like um, semen, <laughs> yeah. semen samples? Okay, he would collect semen samples left in the bed from the incubus. Oh my God! Like physical samples, they were discolored. There were some of them were black, some of them were orange, and they were dark in coloring. But that led him to come to the. It's very interesting. It led him to come to the conclusion that these were entities that were reanimating the carcasses of the dead and milking them, and then taking the semen and through a succubus encounter, or I'm sorry, through an incubus encounter would seduce a woman, either awake or in a sleep state, and then try to implant that seed in her womb. So in the event that that would take place, if they are and they have, if they're marking their victims, it would, in my mind, it would only be because they're going to visit them after death or later on in their life. And so it's just like when you have – like if you go to Texas and you have cattlemen and cattle herders, you have somebody who will brand what's theirs to tell everybody else what belongs to them. And this goes back to, again, what kind of a person would be a necromancer, at least you know, these entities, and, and what kind of a person who would sexually assault a woman. We, we need to be thinking about narcissists and psychopaths and, uh, because that's truthfully what we're dealing with. Yes, because when you when you brought up uh, uh, serial killers and the and the the hunting part of it, um, yeah. what happens is that uh, you know I had to talk to I, I talked to the kids and I would tell them because you know sometimes they brush you off when you're saying don't talk to strangers or or mm-hmm. don't uh, whatever, just stay away from people. They don't believe you. They want to know firsthand, but right. that could be their last hand. You know what I mean? Because exactly. listeners, when you break down the side of a freeway and you think that mm-hmm. person's nice, that they come and help you do your tire, right. you know what I mean? There's call boxes yep. and stuff. Don't get out of your car. Or if you have to get out, call, run back in your car like yourself and again. Because right. they're traveling, they have – they put so many miles on those cars, like seven times the amount of – so it's not it's not like you have bad luck because poor, poor victims, you know, they get – you know, they blame themselves probably, mm-hmm. and they get blamed. Oh, you were in the wrong place at the wrong – no, that's not it. They're looking for you. Right. You know they're what hunting. I mean? So they're on that – yeah, so they're hunting, like you were saying, that these, these people are soul hunters and these other people – uh, it's so horrible is because, you know, America itself is cultivating, you know, we've known for a long time that there's like any number of serial killers at work at one time, you oh, know, right. and they're all, yeah. they're all traveling the roads looking. I wonder, are they having, you know, 
I was wondering about the uh, crime rate since we're all stuck in the house now. I wonder what's what's going on with that. Mm-hmm. I don't know about the crime rate, but I know and I know that the number of attachments has risen just based on how many phone calls and messages I've been getting recently. Okay. Um, yeah, the atta- the attachment scenario is playing out like skyrocketing at this moment, but. You know, these, back to these necromancers, these are very intelligent creatures. And, uh, like, when we're talking about serial killers, what we need to be thinking about, and, and, and ter- we need to be thinking about uh, how that when you have somebody who is a serial killer, in many cases, they're demonstrating memory in motion. Uh, so it's a version of possession that needs to be uh, talked about more in the field. So, so yes. for instance, when Jeffrey Dahmer's favorite movie was The Exorcist. I didn't know his that. Only, yeah, his only living victim that survived was a man, and the man said that he had uh, used the restroom, walked out into the living room, and he turned to see Dahmer on the couch swaying back and forth while watching The Exorcist, and Dahmer was mum, like, like murmuring and, and uh, quoting – a new language, like it was a language that, that he didn't know. You know what I mean? And so, so that was possession. So it's not just that, that he was a – right. It wasn't just that he was possessed in a transient state, but he was demonstrating memory that did not belong to him, right? I mean when, yes. he's, when, he's, when he's employing language preference and he doesn't know that language, that's classic possession. And uh, moving forward, there were times when he would crush the bones of his victims into powder, go into his backyard, and in a fanning motion, he would throw the powder of the bones in his lawn. That's a necromantic ritual. But but how did Dahmer know that, right? Yeah. How did he know that? So it, it's almost as if these entities are using transient possession to educate they're young. In other words, I wow. the show last night, and I likened possession uh, to a father who takes his daughter out and, and gives her uh, driver training. And so she's behind the wheel of a vehicle learning how to, you know, which, which nozzle to pull, which button to push, how to turn the wheel, how to drive. That seems to be what's happening in possession cases. What we're looking at are entities that were formerly that are formerly human, and it's almost as if they're they're learning how to restretch their consciousness into human skin. And so, to me, in my research, what we would consider possession, they consider pregnancy. Yeah. Yeah, okay, yeah. this is so odd. This is very odd. And what I'm about to tell you is very odd. Is that because okay. this has happened so many years ago? My uh, my mother's third husband uh, was a wretch of a person, and I mm-hmm. had never. And they were married 27 years. Can you imagine that? And I never had mm-hmm. one conversation with him. Oh my he, god! He repelled me so much. You know what I mean? And my mother was so beautiful. Mm-hmm. I never understood the sway back alley cat, what he's doing there. And you know what I mean? Uh, very mm-hmm. poor posture, uh, table manners, everything. 
Wow. You know what I mean? And it was just yeah. just terrible. And I never could understand it. And mm-hmm. one time he went to hug me, but I, was, I always found him repellent. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But yeah. sometimes you tolerate him because you're trying to say goodbye. Okay, goodbye, bye. But I saw him coming towards me. With his, and I, But I saw just like uh, something that was just in front of him. And that's the way I was trying to describe it to somebody mm-hmm. when I when I saw it. It was like a, a film uh like a clear person superimposed on him. Do you know what mm-hmm. I mean? So exactly when right. I see so yes. So I then of course you have to dodge the hug, you know what I mean? So that's what I just did yeah. for all those years. But uh there I actually saw this but it looked that's probably why nobody nobody else saw it. But I was repelled mm-hmm. and nauseated by it, and I actually actually even saw it with my eyes one time. You know what I mean? Wow. And it was like something mm-hmm. that was just right in front of him. So it wasn't yeah. really him. Let's say it, let's put it that way. So what you're exactly saying right. is that what what I observed, you know, the, 20 years ago is actually there's mm-hmm. even a word for it. That's why I was so shocked by. Uh, this connection, you know, talking about it. Exactly right. Exactly right. You know, I mean, pop culture and Hollywood has convinced us that the true horror in life are are men that look like monsters, and it's not true. It's monsters that look like men because you can sit next to them and eat dinner with them and be married to them or, you know, and you don't really truly know who they are. And so – these entities, again, they're what I call molters because they have like an insect nature to them and like, like, a, like a, um, a locust or a grasshopper where they will travel from skin to skin and they'll leave like a cicada, leave one skin for another, and, and you don't know really who you're dealing with at the time. But I want to say this real quick. In my research, I discovered a connection between the incubus of folklore and demonic possession. And I didn't understand it and didn't come across it until I began to research the Dybbuk phenomenon in the 16th century. Now, contrary to what some would like to believe, the Dybbuk is not a just exclusive to a wine box. Um, you know, and it's, it's a fun, you know, fun thing to say and talk about, you know, like a story, an anecdote, anecdotal story, but it's not really what it's about. The Dybbuk phenomenon was literally about disincarnate spirits impregnating victims, women, with children, literally, and then literally possessing the child that they put in the womb. And so, again, possession to us is pregnancy to them. And so when we go into the 16th century, we have the Dybbuk possession case study. The Dybbuk possession would include women who would go to the exorcist, and and while the exorcist is investigating them and and actually interrogating the possessing entity, they would see that the entity would crawl up in a fetal position in the womb of the woman, which led them to ask themselves a question, was she pregnant with the entity or was she possessed by it? 
And so that's why it's absolutely vital that we see through their eyes and understand their worldview because it was what once was just a, an incubus encounter, right, where you have a woman who goes to bed at night, she's in a sleep state, and it becomes to her in a dream, there's intercourse, and that's it. That's not it. They mutated in their pathology, and now it was through the incubus that the woman was possessed. And then it was, it's a brilliant, brilliant uh, topic. Well, but, uh, okay, so does, does the woman uh, think she's pregnant? Do people think she's pregnant? Or is, is this uh, it, it used to be. And that they're case. creating, is this what they were talking about? Okay, so they were talking about this. Uh, you talk about the Nephilim, and uh, is that what you're talking yes. about? Exactly right. Exactly right. It's it's strictly afterlife phenomena. We're dealing with people who've died, and now they're doing their best not to just create a body and not to just possess a body, but in the Apocryphon of John, a Coptic manuscript, it references what they're truly doing, and it says that they're creating a body that looks like their apparition, right? So it's not yes. transient possession. This is different. Now, now these entities are wanting bodies that look like who they used to be in life. And so that's why they would impregnate the woman and then actually step into the skin of the child. So they're born among us, but they are not of us. So now, how can you tell? Uh, we would tell by the rituals they're performing. Now, they, okay, so let's go back into time. At, at, yes. During this time when they begin to mutate in their pathology – your incubus were actually impregnating the woman and then killing the child in the womb. It was like, you know, they were evolving in their technology and, and in their knowledge. And so that's why when you go into the Middle Ages, your physicians called incubi larva. Wow. Which is, again, right, it's an early infantile form of life. And so you would have physicians who would go in the home and would say, okay, we're going to do an investigation and inspect this child, this baby, and, uh, you know, if there's no other explanation, we're going to attribute it to an incubus encounter. So it wasn't just that they're impregnating our women. It's not just that they're milking the carcasses of the dead, but they're actually trying to transfer their consciousness into a mortal body again. Okay, so are we talk so this is like creating an avatar. Is that what we're talking Correct. about here? Absolutely right. Fritz Kramer, the, the German anthropologist, called it the social skin. Where where they can live and exist among us and we wouldn't know it. Well, you would know it. I, I would know it. Yeah, yeah, there's something but, but there's something off. Because right. even back in the day when I was out there partying and you know I was over at the the Tiki Lounge, you know, partying up <laughs> <and I was> drunk. <laughs> mm -hmm. There was many moons ago. Okay, 
mean, a long time ago. But there would always be that that one person that everybody in the place, you know. You there? Yeah, I'm here. That's weird. Okay. 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 Yeah. So, so <laughs> um, it's starting. <laughs> but anyway, mm-hmm. but I would be out there. Mm-hmm. You know, and they they you could for me, it would be repulsive. Like you're looking at slime. You know what I'm saying? Right. And then everybody right. would be just nonchalant, interacting. Everything's cool. I'm like it's not cool. I'm getting the hell out of here. Exactly. You know, right. really. You know there's something present there. Exactly right. Of course, it's repellent. You know, but I don't under. I just I okay. So it'll happen. It happens. You know. All the time, unfortunately. But one time, I just mm-hmm. happened to be pulling up, you know, sitting in my car. You know how you just got through doing something, but you're kind of situating your stuff on the seat. And I was sitting right. there shuffling, you know, the mail I got. And I looked up, mm-hmm. and there was a. This is when um, there was this phone booth, and this girl was. I'll never forget this. As long mm-hmm. as I live, there's this girl. She looked normal. She was on the phone normal. And then there was mm-hmm. a guy next to her, though. And she had a, a mm-hmm. little plump little baby, like a little uh, seven month old that could hold, you know, hold on. And she mm-hmm. just handed this guy this beautiful pink baby. And he turned around and he had one eyeball white, a solid Whoa. white. And he was the, the the big murderer. You know, I you could just see it was mm-hmm. all over him. And and the yep. little pink, tiny, innocent baby. And it was like, how could she just hand hand the baby over like so much baggage, you know? When, right. Oh, Lord. So what you say? Okay, so this is all connecting now. Now I know why I notice this stuff. This is yeah, because it's, somebody it's someday was going to school me on it that it's real. <laughs> it's It's real and... It's been right in front of our eyes the entire time. I mean, even oh, if you definitely. go into the European, yeah, even if you go into the European folklore, we can see the changeling phenomena, where they would take a baby from a family and replace it with another. Yeah, that's so weird. It's, it, yeah, it's not just that they're switching consciousness out, but they're also switching bodies. And. The modern, like the, the 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 latest mutation in their victimology and pathology, is seen in the UFO abduction phenomenon, and oh, more okay. importantly, more importantly, in the missing fetus syndrome. Right? Okay, so how are you how are you um, relating this both together? Because I have observed a UFO. Mm-hmm. Um, I had experiences when I was a little kid with abduction mm-hmm. scenarios, and I actually went to – I don't know if you've heard of the Glass Church. It's its a, a huge mm-hmm. place. It was totally made out of glass, which was kind of – it was beautiful, but the design was bad because, you know, birds were always running into it. You know what I mean? Which so I thought right. it was sad. But anyway, they had – at that church, they had – these counseling sessions for alien uh, abducted people. So I went over mm-hmm. there because I wanted to check it out and see, you know, I guess I've been going along this whole line, uh, you know, my whole life. You know what I mean? Uh, understanding yeah. 
there's something there, something science, but maybe there's something. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's been staring at us in the face for eternity, and we're just now starting to understand it. Because, okay, okay so, so to give you a, um, my answer in respect to how the UFO abduction phenomenon goes back to the incubus, we have to understand what the Apocryphon of John says. Because the text itself was written as a reference to what happened in Genesis chapter 6 and the Nephilim. And it wasn't until I got a hold of these manuscripts that I realized, okay, this is an absolute very profound addition to my work. But the Apocryphon of John says that these entities in Genesis 6 actually waited until the husbands of these women were like they left them. And so I don't know if the husband went and got groceries or maybe they got an oil change or even if they may have died. But whatever happened, these entities waited until that woman was alone. And then they changed their appearance into the image of that woman's husband. This is very important, guys. And then they would show up into the room at nighttime, and the woman would see what she thinks is her husband, but it's not. And then the entity would, would, would actually groom that woman into intercourse. It's an incubus. It's really what it is. And so, so we have to picture what's actually going on here. We have a woman who thinks that she's you know, uh, having relations with her husband, but it's not her husband. It's an incubus spirit. And then the Apocryphon of John says that at the moment of conception – I'm going to keep the PG – at the moment of conception – these entities stared into their eyes and reversed their apparition to what they had truly looked like. What a horrifying series of events. But in order for us to grasp an understanding of what they're doing, we have to understand their worldview. What they were doing is performing what's called an abstractic ritual, an abstractic it's just a fancy word that references childbearing and fertility. But the ritual was basically whatever the woman was focused upon at the, at the moment of conception, usually it was her husband, but whatever man she was focused on at the moment of conception, she would bear that physical image in her womb as a child. It's very important. That's what they did. And so when I understood that pathology and I realized that, that that's the, their modus operandi, then I said to myself, okay, Nate, it's not just that they're an incubus. You know what I mean? It's not just that they're after intercourse. It's not just that they're trying to impregnate our women. They're actually trying to create a body that looks like their apparition. And so once uh, I yeah. – under- <laughs> Right? Exactly yeah. what's going on. And so when we fast forward to Dr. Carla Turner's work, she, she wrote a book called The Masquerade of Angels. And in it, she talks about an abductee by the name of Ted Rice. Ted Rice was abducted along with his grandmother. Together, according to his account, together they were in this metallic room, and there was an entity, a hybrid entity that approached his grandmother and tried to groom her into intercourse. She says something that startled them, including – Uh, Ted, she said that I've only known one man, 
and that's my husband, but he's been dead for 11 years. Now, guys, let's follow the sexual pathology here. Immediately from the shadows emerged her husband, which is what? They're doing exactly what they've always done, right? It's not just an incubus. Now it's literally looking into that woman's mind and conforming its image to her memory of her husband. And now it's trying to groom her into consensual intercourse. Now, I don't know that this happened, but I can guarantee you that according to the sexual pathology, what they would have done is what they've always done. At the moment of conception, once they implant that semen they collected from probably another abductee, once they implant it in her womb, they would stare into her eyes and reverse their apparition. And so, again, we're, we're dealing with some seriously sick entities. It's, it's a species of apocalyptic evil unknown to mankind at this point. Okay, so uh, there was, a, was another point to that that you said that, you know, it's getting like desperation mode because uh, what mm-hmm. was happening, and now all of a sudden we have this virus and it's shut down, and now your right. cases have increased. What mm-hmm. – um, What's this? What's the what's the current game? Well, the game right now is attachments because you know what they'll do most often is that they'll use attachments as a form of pre-possession. And so, if you have somebody who's usually depressed, they're going to be very depressed during the season. And so, what they'll do is they will lay themselves spiritually. They'll lay on us and they'll manipulate all the insecurities in us in order to get us to, to give them consent. And so um, like in demonology and possession cases, what I've been dealing with lately is just people that, that have giftings, like many of them are empaths, but um, they'll come to me and they'll say, you know what, I feel like my emotions are heightened, like something's pulling on me. And so what these entities will do is they will manipulate the situation. I mean, obviously COVID-19, you know, it's pretty much put everybody in the country on lockdown. And mm-hmm. it will manipulate those emotions and, and hope that, that somehow we will let them in. And that's just another front of the battle we're fighting. But, um, and, you know, back to the missing fetus syndrome, I have, okay, so I, I've done about 60 shows this year. Yeah, and when, wow. I first in, right, when, I, when I first did this, when I first introduced this research, rather, to the world, I began to have women that were contacting me, and they were saying that, Nathaniel, number one, I've not only encountered these entities you're talking about, but, but during the actual dream of intercourse, because they would, come, they would come, in a, a, come to them in a sleep state, they said that during the, the dream and intercourse, when the entities realized that they, that they had uh, no wounds, right, where they had um, – what's it called? Not a um, – I forget what the word is. Uh, hysterectomy? Anyway, yeah, hysterectomy? there we go. Thank you very much. I always forget the word. Yeah. When they realized that they've had hysterectomies, the entities would stop all phenomenon. The dream would dissipate. The dream state would dissipate. And then they would be verbally assaulted and abused because seemingly the woman wasted their time. What Whoa. does that tell us? What does that tell us? It's never been about sexual intercourse to them. It's always been about them using that 
to implant their own seed or an abductee's seed or a corpse's seed into our women. That that has to be understood. Now, there's people that would take this mm-hmm. and run with it and, and twist this mm-hmm. up. Do you know what I'm saying? This They could use right. this against a person. You know what I mean? That, uh, mm-hmm. like, how, I don't know what I'm trying to say. I'm trying to say, uh, you know, the, let's say they used to, we know we have mental illness, but they used to say right. that it was a demon possession. And now we know right. we have mental illness and it has the medication, and then there's also demon possession. You know what I mean? But there's a, Correct. Correct. Uh, you have to be very discerning about what, what's exactly going on. So if right. there's like a little switcheroo uh, going on in little shell game of now you see it, now you don't, uh, What? how do we – uh, tell what is reality. I know. How would you help a person to differentiate and be discerning? That's what I'm saying. Uh, well, okay. Well, in, in respect to the pregnancies that I'm referring to, um, yes. we have cases where virgins would like. Like, let's talk about the UFO abduction phenomenon. We have cases where virgins would go to doctors for stomach surgery or something, and the doctor would find scar tissue. From a pregnancy that she never never knew she had, so this is this moves beyond the uh, just the mental illness aspect of it, right? There there are going to be uh, in many cases physical trauma, and if it's UFO abduction cases, there are cases of homosexuals who are abducted and given a son in the abduction when they're thinking, okay, this is impossible, right? I've never been with a woman, then why am I? Right? Why am I being given a son that looks directly like me? Because something has come to them, either through a succubus, incubus, or something, where it's harvested his semen, taken it back, and created a new body. And so when we're dealing with not just possession, I mean, obviously, in respect to possession cases, I would want to know, you know, go to a psychiatrist, get this checked out. You know, is this just a symptom of your mind? Is it psychosomatic? What's really going on? But when we're dealing with entities that are incubi, they have a very pronounced presence. Their goal is to separate the woman from the husband. When the woman's gone, they will try to impregnate that woman. So it's in, in regards to an incubus encounter, it's going to be more physical than it is spiritual. Okay. I was just wondering what – so, of course uh, – Spiritual health will help you. Mm-hmm. You know right. what kind of spiritual practices do? You, so how 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 many cases have you come against? In terms of what the incubus of 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 you knowing and feeling that there was the evil and um, how many times have you come up against this? Okay, so when you're dealing with an incubus encounter, it's different. Um, in terms of a demonic encounter, the Molter, I've had one who has had the serial killer pathology. You know, I mean, when you're a paranormal researcher, most of them cases are you go in there, you do a cleansing, or you just sit down for hours, and then, you know, you get very little evidence. But in terms of the serial killer entity, I've encountered one, and thank God, because it was a murder case. Yeah, it was a murder case where the murderer was possessed, and then 
that entity had possessed the killer. And then once it killed, you know, I went in and did the cleansing and everything. But to answer your question, I've encountered one of these. But your incubus is your incubus entity. It's very it's some, it's very unique in its pathology. Um, I had an incubus case one time where the entity laid in between the husband and wife at nighttime. And so when you have a case like that, number one, they're very difficult to get rid of. Number two, their entire uh, plan there is to separate the husband from the wife. And so usually what I would do is I would tell the family, the, the, the couple, to increase intimacy, go go away, take a sabbat or something, a sabbath, and go and like mm-hmm. for a weekend go out of town, right? And my goal would be to push, you know, to push that couple close as close as they could possibly get, because it's just like what they've always done. It's their pathology. They're after separating the couple and moving on to the woman. But you know, it, it's a fascinating study. But what they're doing, okay, it's not just switching out consciousness. Again, it's switching out bodies. Like like Dr. Carla Turner had another abductee who was. Uh, was a female, and she wasn't really cooperating with her abductors. And finally, they got fed up and said, listen, if you don't cooperate with us and do what we tell you to do, we're going to kill you. And then they pointed in the corner of the room, and her, she turned her head, and a chill went down her spine because she, she saw another her laying on a, con- or on, a, on a metal table. So that there was another body, a direct – like a clone of her was in the corner of the room, and they said, if you do not obey us, we'll kill you, and we'll replace you with that. Right? So that what yeah. they're, they're going to take that body, that second self, and replace her. Now, what's more interesting than that, because that's, that's interesting enough, but what's more interesting than that is the fact that, that whose consciousness were they going to place in that body? Yeah, who? Right? Exactly right. More, more specifically, uh, what? Yeah, right? what? This gets mm-hmm. deep, right? And so, again, they're switching bodies. And so that's why, like I said before, we're used to thinking men that, of men that look like monsters. We need to be thinking of monsters that look like men who, you know, we, we don't always know that they're like that, not until they manifest memories that shouldn't belong to them. <laughs> right. Yeah. Now, um this is a So, uh <laughs> mm-hmm. Now these what's horrible is that you know a lot of these serial killers are double ugly. You know what I mean? And to me, as soon as you see them like you get you know they're why would you ever be attracted to ever you know, so they are hunting, and these poor people are are drug in because of drugs or because they're snatched the streets or or whatever mm-hmm. and hunted, yep. and um, mm-hmm. there's no, I'm having they, a little, uh, you know, because I haven't okay, heard of but, that particular concept before, so I'm really trying. No. I have under I understand what you're saying. Mm-hmm. And I know that there's a spiritual battle. Right. And one time, one of the most profound – I've had so many things happen to me, and mm-hmm. I've always, always believed in God. And I've known mm-hmm. that Jesus is my Savior my whole life, even when I was little. Mm-hmm. It was kind of scary that 
you know, my, my parents couldn't keep me out of church. <laughs> so, cause right. they were going, you know, I took myself. So I went to any church within walking distance that I could carry my little legs in there. I would be there, you know, and it didn't mm-hmm. matter what it was, what church it would be mm-hmm. all Christian churches. It would be Baptist. I'm, I'm, I'm Greek Orthodox. So I'm, I'm way old school. Okay. So I know what you were talking about. Apocrypha. And I know what you're saying, because okay. the uh, the Greeks do preserve that part that was taken, yeah. you know, taken away from what we now know as the New Testament. You know, the Greeks right. did uh, preserve that, the church. And so what mm-hmm. you were talking about are books that you can read at the back of the the back of the Bible. You right. know, they're yeah. they're in there, not in the Christ, not in the more Pentecostal or whatever. They're not there. But um, I know I'm aware of what you're saying, so I I thank God that I was baptized in the Holy Church and that uh, by an archbishop, actually, Michael, in the Greek Orthodox Church. So, you know, I've been blessed Mm -hmm. since the beginning. So I have traveled and gone, you know, many places, and I wonder Mm -hmm. what people are going to do to stay on the right path. What what are they going to do? You know what I mean? Right. This is very crazy. Right now, I see. I know nothing can keep you from God. I'm just. I'm trying to, you know, be the, the skeptic and mm-hmm. the, the wondering. But um, mm-hmm. you don't need to go into a building to be with church. You're, you know, this is the time right. to read your Bible, and you can turn on the TV and go on the internet. You can do all kinds of stuff. Praying. Nobody can stop mm-hmm. you from praying. Right. You know, but I know people are right. concerned, Nathaniel, because. My best friend just expressed a concern to me just yesterday, and she's mm-hmm. uh, she's a rocket scientist, so she's pretty much like engineer type person. And mm-hmm. uh, she said that there might be a time where we do have to get some kind of inoculation and carry a card, or we can't buy or sell. There might be a time like that coming up shortly. Yeah. That's what she said. I said. Not mm-hmm. shortly. I said it'll be more insidious than that because if you kind of haul off and say everybody better take this shot in your forehead, they're not going to do it. You know what I mean? Right. So right. this yeah, slow little trickle of evilness and and accepting the unacceptable, mm-hmm. you know, is how they get under our skin, like you're talking about. Yep. Yep. It's um, it's a fascinating concept, but this is not a modern idea. You know, the, the no. ancient man and woman knew this, and they, they understood that in, in respect to the UFO abduction phenomenon, they, they would have called it demonology. Not that, not that these entities are demons, but that's how they would have projected their worldview upon it. You, you know what I mean? And so well, yeah. like when, we go, when we go into the understanding of implants… Um, the implants long before these entities mutated into you know what we would call aliens or whatever, uh, we have the teraphim in the Old Testament, and the teraphim was a ritual of necromancy, and what they would do is you would have an idolater who would go out and either dig up a corpse that was recently buried, or he would kill someone and then take him back to his house. Laban did this in the Old in Genesis. Laban did this. And uh, once he got the corpse back into his house, he would scalp it. He would take a, met- a piece of metal, and he would carve the name of an unclean spirit on it, 
take that metallic implant, put it underneath the tongue of the corpse, and then that entity, that disincarnate spirit, I don't know if it was by virtue of electromagnetism, but somehow it would manipulate that metallic object to where his consciousness would step into the skin of the corpse and begin to communicate through it. And so is is that sort of like the golem <laughs> thing? Yes, you're exactly right. Exactly right. And you, again, it's we're, we're creating an image, right? We're creating an image of a man and then consciousness is stepping into it and animating it. And so the entire idea here is to create a body for themselves. That's what they're doing. That's what they've always done. And it's not just a body, but it's a vehicle to which they can operate and and kind of live again, really. That's really what it comes down to. Okay. So, you know, for uh, our listeners who mm-hmm. are – probably falling out in the aisles by now and scrumming, screaming away, but uh, what <laughs> what do you tell these people? How do you tell them to make this stop? What are you, what are you suggesting? Um, I would call upon anything and everything. That's really where we're at. Um, I'll tell you why. Because Dr. Carla Turner, again, her work is fascinating, but she has cases – it's not just her work, but other researchers have cases like this where you have people that will call on the name of Jesus, and these entities will manifest. During the abduction, they'll manifest Jesus, but it's not the historical Jesus, right? It's, it's, the, it's the form that most people in America would accept, which would be a blonde-haired, blue-eyed, pale, Swedish Presbyterian version of Jesus, and <laughs> not the Jewish rabbi, right? That we, He's a that Jewish he rabbi, people, I know. <laughs> Right. Oh my God! So yes. What are they doing? Well, because I got an argument with my poor husband, ex husband. Well, and when I actually ex was strange husband, because uh, he said to me one day, because he is he was raised Catholic, so he said to me one day about the the uh, New Testament, you know, being in Latin. So I said. Uh, Okay, I said no. I said it's Greek. It was written in Greek because that's the learned language, and you know, our God and His good reasonings knew we'd be reading Greek to this day. You know, so Mm -hmm. uh, no, it's not in Latin. So he got so mad at me. I said no, and I said for that matter, I said Jesus is a rabbi. He's Jewish, and he's Mediterranean. So he's, <laughs> he was yeah, so it, mad. It, it, I, went, I don't understand what you're mad about. Right. <laughs> so don't argue with me. Argue people with really care. I'm sorry, people. Jesus is a Jew. Yes. Right. He's my saving Jew. He is, and I love him. Right. But what I'm saying is, he, you know, and he's not even that, you know, person that yeah. we said, you know, to me, I've had many dreams about Jesus. And I actually, oh boy, I had a beautiful dream today. You know, I fell asleep because mm-hmm. I wasn't sleeping well. And I had a beautiful mm-hmm. dream about a, a Greek wedding and how when uh, in the during the Greek wedding, 
the man and the woman is crowned, like you're king and queen, mm-hmm. you know, right. and that's the way, that's how you treat each other, like kings and queens, you know, and that's why mm-hmm. the ritual is so beautiful when you exchange those. That's what the priest does. He puts a crown mm-hmm. each other's in a in my dream, I'm dreaming. I'm in. Oh, oh, in I'm in the wedding, talking to them about it and stuff. It was really very beautiful. Mm-hmm. But what I'm saying is, you know, that's your protection, people. You know, yeah, it is. wearing either either the ground. If you're, you know, either the the crown you share together, and there's a ribbon attached to to each crown. Mm-hmm. You don't have a crown by yourself. It, there's a satin ribbon that goes from person to person, person's right. crown. The covenant. It's a beautiful. It's beautiful, and I was dreaming about that. Thanks for reminding me, anyway, Nate. <laughs> <Thanks for reminding laughs> You're welcome. I'll do what I can do. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but uh, and I kept. Yeah, you know. I'm sorry. It's a uh, you know this is a uh, sure how I feel about all this. Mm-hmm. You know because. Uh, I don't know. I I don't know how you can even exist on this earth and actually get your mind around all this, all of it. You know, there's so much yeah. that I think that's why we each have our expertise because, uh, you know, there's just so much <laughs> to learn heavy. and there's so much. It's, it's heavy and you can't, uh, you know, be everything to everybody. It doesn't work like that. You know what I mean? No. So uh, I don't, I don't want. I don't. I don't want to be, you know, everything to everybody, right? I mean, I I know that that this will freak people out, or there there would be people that would say, you know mm-hmm. what, I don't really believe in that and everything, and that's fine. I understand that perfectly, uh, but I would suggest looking at the behavioral pattern throughout history. Um, number one, Nephilim, when the the Hebrew language was employed in Genesis six, they didn't have vowels, and so what you have is the Hebrew word for stillbirth, stillborn. And what, what basically SID, sudden infant death syndrome. Why? Because they were still improving their technology. And so what we're looking at are, are entities that will impregnate somebody, and then they'll either take the body, which is what they're doing now, or they'll do what they've done before. They'll kill the baby. Now, I need everybody to understand this. I'm not talking about um, that, that, uh, babies that are, that are being born of natural relations, right? I'm not talking about, you know, I, me and my husband had a child, okay? No, that's not what I'm referring to. I'm referring to pregnancies that are, that are occurring by virtue of incubus, incubi. Does that make sense? Like that's, that's yes. what they're doing. So when we're well, doing I know what, what we're doing are. with them, okay. I want to make sure because, you know. Well, if people don't um, understand you know. is what they are, <laughs> okay, they they're try. actually spirit beings. You see these little yeah. Uh, you know, drawings. You know, they're ancient. Some of these manuscripts right. where there's a demon literally sitting on a person and right. Uh, right. having sex with a person. They're also breathing in their breath. And there's all kinds of uh, stuff. Uh, you know, yep. that even cats would breathe on, sit on your face and kill you. And all, there's all kinds of stuff mixed in with this. So there's yep. a what you've come up with is an explanation for our current state. You know, and, right. and what matters to us now and what we're doing. Exactly right. How they're mutating. You know, it's, it's just like a criminal profiler who goes into a crime scene and looks at what he can see, you know, the footprints, the, the blood spot and everything, and uses that crime scene to reverse engineer the thought process, belief system, and worldview of the killer. That's what we're doing. That's the future 
and should be the future of demonology. And so it's, it's literally the behavioral pattern is witnessed from biblical antiquity through the Middle Ages. I mean, all the way through history, what we know for sure, number one, is that they want our children. They're using our women to, to impregnate and then to take the child. Like, like right now, what we have, especially in UFO abduction, and we have women, again, who are virgins. They've never had intercourse. But they're going out and they're saying, okay, um, you know, I, got, I went and got surgery, and the doctor says there's scar tissue or there's afterbirth still in my body, and I've never had intercourse before. So it's not just – it's not an immaculate conception. What they're doing is they're using us. What we're yeah. just now realizing is that what is the, the seed that they're implanting in us used to be from corpses, and we're not even sure right now if they're not doing it still, Right. Because well, it, it's, it's well, there's actually, you know, if this, if you want to get crazy with this, you know, there actually <laughs> is the ability to do all the above at exactly. this more, moment exactly. in time. You know that that we have yep. the the horrific. Well, this was you know predicted in Frankenstein. You know, yep. and, uh, Mary Shelley picked up on it somehow, and uh, you know we've been you know that story has been retold a million times. And uh, it's being created to a lot of our, our horror, you know, where a lot of us are, mm-hmm. are shocked and scared and uh, we don't want any part of it. And mm-hmm. I'm thinking that uh, – go ahead. No, you're, you're exactly right. I mean, I agree with you. I know. It's, it's I'm, I know I'm here. So, but it's a mm-hmm. different thing, but I'm not sure how I can cross the thing into uh, – I know because I have a, a thought about something about the implants, and I'm not so sure mm-hmm. uh, because I knew Jess Lair. You know, he's the famous doctor that really uh, mm-hmm. he would take these implants, and they're actually electronic. You know, they move. Right. There's a frequency there. and stuff like that. So I know that scientifically, I know that he was not lying. He had them. Right. You know, he 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 saw them. You know, he go to be pinching and then remove it and it would move out of his way. You know what I mean? It's right. very strange things are happening. So I know that there's a scientific part of this, but you're, you're exactly saying right. it's something else. I'm saying it's it the same it. thing. It's an, it's an addition to scientific. Here's why. Because in my mind, there was a reason why it had to be metal. Like I'm talking like four or 5,000 years ago. There was a reason why it had to be metal, number one. And we still don't know how that consciousness Crawled, crawled into that body. We don't know if it was using a new kind of physics. We don't know if it was using an electromagnetic current, right? We don't know why. We can say it's spirituality, but truthfully, we don't know. Does that make sense? Like all, all yeah. we do know is that it was metallic for a reason and that somehow when they carved the name of the spirit into it and placed it as an implant in the body – that entity had the ability that it didn't have before. Now, it, and again, it could have been technology. It could have been some kind of uh, technology of consciousness. But it had the ability now to crawl into the skin. And so, again, well, we're, more, so this is, you know, we've even talked about reanimator, you know, to bring it up again. Exactly. It's like, a, right. it's a, I think that if it, what you're saying is true, that mm-hmm. 
they have, you know, uh, you know, had instincts that this is going to be coming down. I mean, for forever, yeah. and there's always been a warning attached to it, you know. But I just right. don't know how you're going to intercept. Uh, so, what do you think you're going to do against the aliens? To put it bluntly, uh, I don't think we have. A, I don't think we have enough of a data sample. Here's why: because 99% of our abductions. Um, that we're witnessing, and, and they're mostly screen memories. And so when we have abductees who come back, it's like Dr. Carla Turner said, we don't even – I mean, we obviously we know what the abductees think they experienced. That's 100% true. But we don't know how much of the experience was projected onto the minds of the, the abductees. True. It's yeah, just I, like the apparition. Because what do you know? changes its form. Exactly right. And so when you go into the Bible in Ezekiel chapter 13, where Yahweh mentioned soul hunters, he basically says that they, they would put the, their victims into tr- like a, in a trance, in a sleep state, but then that they would give them false prophecies. This is very important. False, like, like they would give them images that weren't real. Words like they would give them prophecies like God's going to do A, B, and C, and then they would think they would believe in that delusion and think, okay, uh, you know that's what that's what's really going to happen, or that's what I'm meant to believe, right? But when they got back into their homes, we have to understand that number one, those these entities could very well have manipulated things, and so what we're looking at is the memory of the individual. And if they can manipulate what we remember about the event, then again, we have to look at the behavioral pattern and see, okay, what's the most consistent here? Because you know they can change the form, but what they cannot change is their victimology, right? They can't change wow. what they're truly after. Isn't that fascinating? Because uh... – hmm. Because why why I'm taking this personal is because uh, in the '80s I had I was so stressed out because uh, of not only did I see a UFO, uh, mm-hmm. me and my friends and my sister saw it together, and mm-hmm. like all kinds of strange stuff was happening. So I actually wrote to Harvard because I thought if I am this crazy, I better get the top doctor. To talk to, him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> thank God I, I've always right. done that. Thinking, so you know, Doctor John Mack. Uh, uh, so uh, they hooked exactly up with right. him, and a uh, good person. And uh, I think there's like several different. It's not all one thing. I think there's several mm-hmm. different things going on here. And mm-hmm. uh, I got a lot of help from him. You know what I mean? Oh, so uh, I love John Mack. Oh, John oh I love him. Hero of mine. <laughs> when he was, when he, you know, some say he was taken out. You know, he's too good. Yeah. Well, he was. Yeah. Maybe he was too good for this world. I don't know. I, it was. It, it hurt me that he was taken from us so quickly. But um, right. Uh, what a fabulous, fabulous man. You know, and he oh, he had such was, a heart of compassion. Such. Very much. I just still see the smile in the, on his face, and when you see him, even on any show you see to this day, you can see how intently he listens. You know what I mean? Right. And he, he doesn't say oh. a lot. He just is a – I don't know. Well, you know how it is. If you're a fan, you know what I'm talking about. But that's where I got my, my <laughs> yeah. help 
So John Mack all the way. And uh, I think uh, some of what you're saying is very true. You know, the, yeah. and then some of it I'm not so sure about. You know what I mean? That's so okay. that's fun. That's fun. That's all. That's all. It's, it's, it's just that. Um, oh, I don't know. I don't want to hurt people. You know, and I want people to be strong. And uh, right. you know, but you have to just what you've been called to talk about. You have to do it. Yeah. You know, whether yeah. people are going to go into shock or not, like I am. So I just like, but some of the stuff I haven't heard before. You know, so right. this is it new because I've, I, but I know where you're coming from, though. You know, that's why I'm able to yeah. talk about it because, uh, you know, this is age old wisdom. And then there's a, there's mm-hmm. a, a modern twist here that, uh, but I knew this was coming down. I knew it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because yeah. I, I actually yeah. would notice stuff other people don't notice, but I've been like that my whole life. You know what I mean? Right. And it's really saved many lives because I could notice something first. You know, yeah, okay, you it's time to get out of here or just sidestep this. Okay, let's just unplug this. You know what I mean? Right. There's a frayed right. wired here that's going to actually set this whole freaking house on fire. So let's unplug it, okay? You know what I mean? Something like <laughs> that. Saw it. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. I saw it. So I will do that. So, you know, that's my space in the world, you know, about some of this stuff because mm-hmm. I was trying to understand. You know how you got the mm-hmm. this is this is why what you're you're thinking is so genius because you're talking about the preternatural epiphenomenal philosophy and I tried mm-hmm. to read it, you know, but I have ah. I have yeah. uh, I have a glitch in my brain. You know what I mean? I can only no, follow it so far. Yeah, I, I don't really I don't really mess with that too often. I mean, it's honestly basically uh, preternatural epiphenomenal philosophy. Is just it's just the understanding that I think that a lot of this phenomenon has been misinterpreted throughout the years, especially in hauntings. You know, well, like, you're the like founder of, of it, so, you, so what you should do is like break it down to us, just just you yeah. know, explain so, it. Like I explain it like this. Um, there's the di- there's a difference between phenomenon and and epiphenomenon. Phenomenon is something that happens. Epiphenomenon is something that happens because something had already happened, right? It's like a secondary consequence of something happening. And so what I do is like when I give a lecture, um, I'll draw like a pool of water, and I will talk about how when someone steps into the pool of water, they will create a wake in the water, right? You'll see like ripples that, that, you know, their weight displaces the water. Now, the ripples that they create is not them, right? It's not their body, mm-hmm. and it's not their presence. The ripples they are creating is the secondary consequence of their presence in the water. Does that make sense? Of course it does make sense. Right. It does and because so, uh something you know, wait a minute. This this is connecting with something that I had I was sleeping. Okay. And then there was some weird thing that happened. And I went Right. Oh thank God that we're talking about this. I went, <laughs> This isn't this isn't me. Right. So s- snap out of it and it wasn't me. 
Do you know what I mean? Right. Because uh, exactly right. it's just that insidious. You s- yeah. <laughs> I can't. Ta- I can't really discuss. Like <laughs> I can't say what you're saying. You know, but I actually yeah. I get it. Yeah, yeah. So what a lot of us have been doing in, in demonology is that we've been looking at the ripples in the water and saying, "Listen, that's a demon," or you know, "That's that's the actual entity." That's in the house, and truthfully, it's not. The entity is in the water somewhere, and what we're witnessing is phenomenon that's caused by it. And so that's like when you go into history and biblical antiquity, we would have demons that were named after diseases. And so we were given descriptions of entities. And so we would, we would literally define them by a description, and they're two different things. And so that's why I think it's, it's, it's highly necessary that we understand the difference between the entity itself and, and what it would cause in a life. And, and it's just – I don't want to go too deep on it, but it's just I think that we – many cases in, in the research, we've misinterpreted the phenomenon itself. And well, that that is like that ripple effect that you're talking about, you know. Yeah. And it's it's um, it's so uh, no one, yeah, no one. You know, the, the subject is so so intense. Pardon me. I said, yeah, you're exactly right. It's knowing the difference between the entity itself and what it's actually causing to happen in the home. Right. Well, the syn- so- yeah. Well, it's the synchronicity of this for me is that mm-hmm. I I actually got a little taste of it because I said that's not me. Right. You know what I mean? And that's happened yeah. to me a couple times when I'm dreaming. I'd have to say only reason why I'm entertaining mm-hmm. that conversation is that it was a I'm gonna let some truth out here during a. Mm-hmm. Abduction experience in my dream. I was having a dream about something, mm-hmm. and I told them specifically because you're talking about something, and I told them specifically this isn't my preference. Stop doing this to me. I don't want wow. you. I don't want this. I know. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. then, when a little something snuck in, now this happened just recently, maybe a day or two ago. And I said, mm-hmm. no, nah, that's not me. So you can say, no, no, that's not me, no. Mm-hmm. But you have to get grounded in yourself. Um, I've mm-hmm. been reading some books about um, this teacher. He lived, uh, He lived. Uh, he's passed away now because I didn't get turned on to his books. Like they're written in 1952, 55. This is really outrageous. And his mm-hmm. uh, Jesse Stewart, and he was a teacher in the hills of Virginia. And mm-hmm. I just got turned on to his books, you know, like I've been on them like for two weeks. I read one book and now I'm on another book. And he's talking wow. about the, the – it's beautiful, beautiful. He's talking about – and it's when you're you're ill. And I didn't mm-hmm. know I was going to be ill until, uh, you know, that I had – that I was diagnosed with uh, something. I'm, I don't know. I haven't mm-hmm. said it on the air yet. Mm-hmm. But uh, – you know, leukemia. 
So, because mm-hmm. uh, I was wise and I tired all the time and everything else, so I just got this diagnosis of leukemia, right? Like this was last week. Mm-hmm. So I'm still processing mm-hmm. it. And I, but I was already reading these books, you know, for the last, you know, mm-hmm. two, two or three, four weeks, whatever it is. Anyway, so I'm on to this book. And so I'm on page 112, and he talks about the time. And what he's saying is he had a massive heart attack and he was laid laid low and he had to actually stop telling time by his watch and go back to the time when you were a kid. You know, you had to tell by where the sun was in the sky. You had to be running mm-hmm. home because the start the sun's going down. You didn't have a watch. You know what I mean? Right. He's talking like that mm-hmm. and he's talking about the countryside. And I remember when I was a kid, there was a whole bunch of crap going on. But my solace was the woods. So I'd be upstate New York. And I would go mm-hmm. along the Hudson, and I would go explore the woods. I'd be there all day. Right. One time wow. I left my mother's house, and I didn't come back yeah. out of the yard. I was in our backyard one time. I didn't come out of the backyard. Mm-hmm. She let me stay out there 18 days. <laughs> oh, my God. I, <laughs> I thought know. my days when the woods were long. You got me beat. Remember, I but mean, remember the, how beautiful. And So he's writing about all of this stuff just when I needed mm-hmm. it. I didn't know I was wow. sick. I knew I was tired, you know, but I didn't know yeah. I had this, you know. So, that's uh, a synchronicity if I've ever heard it. That's you know what, what I mean? I'm saying, profound. And when he was saying – and then what he said in this little part of the party, just it took him all this time to bring this up. Where was Jesus doing when he's in the desert all that time by himself for that month? Mm-hmm. You know? Well, this is what he said mm-hmm. in the book. What were his prayers? What was he asking for? What was he, who mm-hmm. was he talking to? He was finding solace. You know, and he was talking yep. to his father, of course. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So it was profound. Yep. You know what I mean? So I feel yeah, better. I, I, I don't feel – I know that you know I have a diagnosis and all that, but I feel like it's time to just rest and read and talk and yeah. you know what I mean and I pray that, and I have – go ahead. I think it's, be, it's a beautiful thing when you are given an answer to a question you didn't even know you had. That's the whole point right there. It's like you're getting a – like a like an answer that you did like I when I read yeah. this little when he said about um, when Jesus was in the you know he spent that that month, what do they call it what forty days and forty nights when he was out there over a month so yep. what was Fasting he doing thing, exactly yeah. you know what I mean yep. well, and it's really phenomenal just to even contemplate that I just had to cry because it was just so yep. beautiful you know it's that such a fasting. I'm sorry, good. <laughs> no, because um, I'm just saying, you know, how do we get our help? That's how we get our help. Yeah. It, yeah. That's be in the be passage. in the way of the miracles. Read. Start doing your stuff. You got to just be, you know, when you get it, like I, I'm always on a research. And I was realizing is I'm constantly connecting the dots. That's why. Because this research is important. What you're doing is important. Right. Yeah. And. It's, it, it has to be researched, it has to be understood, and it has to be communicated to others. But another fascinating aspect about that passage you were mentioning in respect to Jesus mm-hmm. is that the same anointing that said, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased, it mm-hmm. drove him into the wilderness. Yes. I mean, imagine God with a whip saying, okay, you need to go back out there. 
And then, you know, you do have Jesus. No friends. Prof- no, no, nobody. Just me and just go. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And it had to happen. You know, he had to go out there and to encounter himself and encounter God. You know, it's just, it's a beautiful story, but I understand exactly what you're saying. Exactly That's what, what I'm saying. saying. I had no idea. It was going to come up. <laughs> no. <laughs> so it's kind of the timely. Works. The timeliness of it is is so uh, beautiful. It's astounding. I'm not even all the way through this. So it's just happening now. You know, where mm-hmm. a couple, a co- you know, this week. You know, it was kind of sad. I woke up. I was crying in my sleep. You know what I mean? And wow. then, yeah. and then. It was sad. I can't remember exactly what happened, but to today it was a. Then it. Then I got the book, and then now today is a, is a wedding. Yeah. And then in wow, the word that, one, there's one little word in in this Greek wedding, and I'm telling you, I told you about part of the ceremony. It's so beautiful. But there's one because mm-hmm. they were always trying to say, well, it's in Greek. How do you? That's weird. We're just we're talking about the Greek anyway. He said, oh, it's in Greek. How do we understand? During the wedding, I said, all you have to do is whatever they say, just say kala. <laughs> he said, what is that? And I said, well, it's fine. <laughs> it's yeah. fine. How are you doing? Fine, fine, fine. Would you say kala? It all sounds it. right. <laughs> yeah, just shake your head and act like you know what's going on, right? Yeah, kala, kala. <laughs> fake, fake it till you make it. That's what I say. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's what it is. That makes me laugh. Oh, I never gosh. in a million years thought I'd be talking about this. But anyway, so that's, I think, <laughs> that's saving good. grace. Is there, we'll, we'll get help yeah. before we need it, just like you said. Yep. God God would always give the antidote before he gave anything else. It's, it's just how he is. So He's, he's good but, like uh, that. Yeah, yeah, he is. It's, so anyway, you know, my dear – now, so we're coming to our second hour almost, but now tell us what your website is and where, where's your next speaking engagement. Tell us about your books. Um, okay, so my website is njgillis.com, and tomorrow my, my next speaking engagement is going to be on Dark Horse Paranormal with uh, Chris and Kristen. It's going to be tomorrow night. And um, my my two books, my first book that I wrote is A Moment Called Man, and a portion of it is an homage to my Christian tradition, but the majority of the book is written to empaths who are medicating the gifts they're called to manifest. And I try to, you know, help them along in understanding that their pain has a purpose and that you know, there's a high calling to, to what they're going through. Um, and then my second book is The Skin That Crawls. And on my Instagram page, which is the Nathaniel Gillis, on my bio, there is a link to pre-order The Skin That Crawls. And, and that book is basically, it's going to connect all the dots that I talked about tonight, but it's going to connect them in more detail. So so that's what I have, and, and pretty much that's where you can find me. Oh, cool. That's cool. And I just wanted to thank you so much. And you know what? It's a, it's a, a learning experience here, you know, mm-hmm. on the Paranormal and the yeah. Sacred Channel. And um, it was delightful having you, and I appreciate you. you so much. Take your time out to talk about, you know, these very complicated and difficult 
a subject, and uh, I, I highly advise people to do more research, read more books, you know, and then but at the same right. time, also, you know, be sure you uh, protect yourself, you know, and right. I right. actually have a candle burning almost 24 hours a day every day, you know, because that's how much we need it right now, you know, so... Yep. The Sacred Heart of Jesus, you know, it's right there. I'm looking at it right now. I can see a candle burning, and it's always it's mm-hmm. always like that for my entire life. It's just not now. It's always mm-hmm. been there, you know, because I've been brought up in the tradition that you you keep mindful, yep. you know, and when you need to be reminded, you just look up. Okay, yes, oh yeah, we're still praying. There's a candle lit. <laughs> so mm-hmm. that's why all the yep. candles are lit in churches all the time. It's just to remind you, there's a light. Jesus is the light for for me. I don't mean for everybody, you know, so don't go right. get mad at me out there. But, you know, I'm just <laughs> uh, just yeah. trying to say that's where I'm coming from. And I think people probably know that by now. So anyway, anyway, so God bless you and yours. Thank you so much. Yeah, and you. you know what? What are we going to do with this new year coming up? What do you think? Um, hopefully get out more. Hopefully this COVID stuff is over and – we can actually have real football games and actually have life again. You know, it's it's difficult now, but um, it's it was an honor for me to be on. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, I tell everybody if you you know if if you don't like something, spit the bones out. Take what you can use, and you know exactly. take whatever you can use and apply it. But uh, that's it's, right. It's been an honor. Thank you so much for having me on, guys. I appreciate it. It's been thank you very much, this is Nathaniel Gillis. Thank you so much, Nathaniel. Take care. Thank you. You too. Okay, bye. bye-bye. So that was Nathaniel Gillis, author, demon hunter, and researcher. And you can get him at his website. And we said that, so you have to listen to our story. So that's where you're going to find him. Appreciate you listeners so much, really. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to put a song on by one of Ray Cordell, he gave us this One Life thing, and I've just played the heck out of it. So we're going to listen to One Life, Ray Cordell. I'm allergic, but I just can't let you go. Cause the feelings that I have for you were planted From the moment that I saw your beauty shining I just knew that you're the one, the one I love You're the stars, the moon and all that lives around me But you're gone and my heart will never feel the same